0: So any profanity, get it out of the way now While, you know, it's early in the interview
1: This is Sergei
2: Karyakin, And you're listening to The Full English Breakfast With Lauren Strand and Stephen Gordon
3: This is episode number 24 of The Fall English Breakfast. We're taking it easy this summer, but also keeping busy in our own ways. Trent was dancing in Croatia.
0: Beautiful country, by the way. Anybody who's never been to Croatia, I recommend it. Great seafood. Great seafood, great weather, which is a very beautiful country. There's the Croatia promo.
3: We've got lots of news to catch you up on from Dortmund and Beale and Amsterdam and North Shields. Got a bit of unfinished business with that tournament. But first, a little bit of pub talk. Let's talk Turkey. Yeah, not that kind of Turkey, but Ali Yatsitsi, the uh, FIDE vice president and uh, soon to be ex-president of the Turkish Chess Federation. We talked about his decision to ban arbiters from participating in the upcoming Olympiad in Istanbul. But recently, since our last show, he's taken it one step further and proposed an agenda item for the FIDE Congress to ban seven federations, not just their arbiters, but all of the members of the federation, including players, from participating in FIDE-sanctioned events. So this will be now something that the FIDE General Assembly will vote on, whether or not to give a suspension to the seven federations, including players, arbiters, trainers, ratings, suspended, everything.
0: I think they should, personally, because that way... We get out of that sh- all of an organisation. Um, <laughs> we start up our own thing. Everybody then boycotts it, and they go and f- themselves. <laughs> is, is that a bit too strong? Steve, you better go first. I mean, uh,
4: it all seems a little bit extreme, and it's very disappointing for the nations involved that they weren't able to participate in the big events that FIDE have to offer. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, there's coming a point, isn't there, where... People are going to question like, whether a full-on boycott of FIDE is worthwhile. It's all a bit farcical.
3: Well, what I love about this is that on its face, it seems totally absurd. I mean, talk about guilt by association. You're going to hold all of the players. That means all of the, the top grandmasters on down from these federations from participating in FIDE events. I mean it's like one of these motions that's so off the charts crazy that it you know you don't even know whether or not you should take it seriously or if it's just you know a way of venting steam you know I mean is it a is it a real threat because if it is to me it seems like a totally no win situation for fide let's say okay this comes to the floor and it fails, then, okay, everybody says, well, this was obviously a joke, it got voted down, it's just Ali uh, doing his own thing. But then, look, if it succeeds, I think you're right, and this was also pointed out by Steve Giddens on his blog, it sort of de facto means that those seven federations, we're talking France, England, U.S., uh Germany Ukraine Switzerland these would all then have no choice but to you know band together in some way provide some opportunities for their players to play and you'd have a situation where we'd have a basically another split in the chess world
0: the making
4: the making a bit of a mockery of themselves even debating this stuff as it
0: is so essentially, what, you know, my dad, who's got a day rating of probably about 1500, will not be able to play. It's dictatorial, it's disgusting, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say, actually, do you know what, a few years ago when I saw this chap, Ali, doing numerous things, I thought, do you know what, he might actually, this guy might have the answer. I think it was in Turin a few years ago when he was getting busy, and I thought, do you know what, maybe this guy, this guy is a joke. They won the case, fair enough, they won the case. Well, we all know it's through a technicality anyway, of course, which they failed to mention. And I'm sure everybody's read up about that. But they won the case. It should just be left there. The nerve FIDE has to impose something as extreme as that on something so lawful is laughable.
3: Let's, let's get all of the FIDE politics stuff out of our system here. We had finally a verdict from the Ethics Commission on the cheating allegations against three French players, including Sebastian Feller. And uh, they basically upheld the suspensions uh, originally placed on them by their French, the French Federation. And so uh, Feller will not be able to play for a couple of years. And Hoshar, uh, who was the trainer, and Marzolo also sanctioned uh, pretty harshly. It's a real shame to think that someone so talented
4: would even think about doing that, let alone with going through it in such a calculated way. I'd even say if they found guilty of something like that, then the ban should be longer.
3: Well, Arnaud Hoshar was actually given a lifetime ban from serving as a captain. Feller received a three-year ban from playing, followed by two years of community service with the French Federation or another association. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but you think even that's not harsh enough?
4: Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. It just uh, we've had this Olympic Games as well, and um, you know, I watch. I think of Justin Gatlin when, um, when we talk mm. about cheats and he's, he's come back from two drugs bans. I mean, I find that absolutely insane that after the second one, he's still able to get on the track and get himself a bronze medal. I mean, this guy's obviously got uh, the strangest moral compass. Just to be cheating at that level, I feel quite strongly about it because it happened against us as well. It happened against a good friend of mine, um, or supposedly, as the story goes that yeah i mean i just think it's it's pretty lenient for
0: me I like the community service part. So three years not playing be, you know, you're going to see him in, you know, sweeping the streets in Paris. And, but what? You know, <laughs> uh, it's not like police community service, is it? Well, he's... exactly. I, was, I hate the fact they call it community service. What's he going to be doing? He's it's, going to be giving it, chess. I imagine lessons he's going to be
4: teaching teaching kids yeah. or you know helping out yeah. with chess clubs and and whatever.
0: Exactly. Good morning, children. I'm Grandmaster Sebastian Feller, convicted cheat. What I'm going to teach you today is the, the ethics of sportsmanship in chess. No, I mean, on a slightly more serious note, sombre note, this is very shocking news, because I think not only have they been found guilty, but they also pleaded innocence, both of them, and actually threatened things such as counter suing and that sort of thing, which makes it worse. Because if they just kept shtum about it and said, we're going to wait for the processes to happen, etc., etc., then fine, but... They've been lying twice in some way. Um, I agree with Stephen. I think the ban should be longer. I'm still undecided as to whether lifetime bans or not are right. Because everybody does make mistakes, that's for sure. But to lie like they have, to genuinely cheat and then lie again about it, that's a different level for me. So I think maybe the penalty should be more... I don't know.
3: Well... At least in this case, the charges were quite severe and there were uh, reasonable standards of evidence at play uh, before the, the ban was put in place. And it was then confirmed, in effect, by the international body of appeal, that being the Fidei Ethics Committee. So we had a sort of a due process and a justified procedure. Obviously, if you are found to be cheating, it makes sense that you be banned from international events. Next topic. All right, let's leave the world of politics. We've got a lot of tournament news roundup to get to from the summer. Amsterdam Science Park, uh, it was the second year of a tournament there which started as a big open and they added this year a couple of top level events, uh, including the Dutch championship and this ACP Golden Classic. My name is Yuri
1: Garrett, and I'm the board director of the ACP.
3: We're outside the first round of the Golden Classic tournament. Now, why Golden Classic?
1: Well, because in the golden times of chess, adjournment was one of the protagonists, so we just thought it was a good name to call it the Golden Classic.
3: Well, first of all, maybe we need a little bit of a primer on what exactly adjournments are for some of the listeners who may not know or may not be familiar with adjournments.
0: An adjournment is a way for you to simply temporarily stop the game. depends on the tournament, but there's a certain move or time when you could ask for an adjournment and essentially what would happen is the arbiter would come over stop the clocks one player that i believe the person who asked for the adjournment would have to seal a move and then you would both leave the game and you could then look at the game in your own time and then you would finish off the game the following day or whenever
1: it was well i i must say that the uh concept of going back to adjournments has been not really discussed but it has been a an active part of our dreams for a long time. But it was basically Emil Sutovsky's uh, great work who brought the, the money in and who gave a uh, concrete uh, format to the idea. The obvious criticism is well, how can you possibly have a
3: Germans in the computer age? Isn't that just going to be uh, who has, who's got the access
1: to the stronger machine? How, how does that work? Um, I think this was a problem uh, 20 years ago. Now it's completely different because I think every player has a computer uh, hardware-software combination that is tailored to his needs. Uh, basically, we just saw Anand and Gelfand playing. I wouldn't be surprised if they had access to supercomputers provided by the governments or anything because this is just normal. The investment is worth it. And these are strong players, the 2750s and 2600s. So I'm pretty sure they all have strong computers, which is one that suits their rating, suits their professional career. I don't think that access to technology today is a major problem. I think this will help chess because it will prompt analyzers from the whole chess community to come up with their ideas. I wouldn't be surprised to see some analysis published before the actual resumption of the game. And I don't think this will impact the play because um, most positions will have life. And after five moves, I I pretty much think that both players will be, you know, swimming in the open sea as they were before. Of course they will have had ideas from the computer, but it's not that the computer will just pop up lines and you and I can understand those lines. It takes a super grandmaster to understand the concept between those lines and develop it and then apply it playing.
3: So it's not just a question of memorizing the first line of
1: Houdini uh, on a very strong engine. I don't think it is that, no. And also, I mean, my my favorite uh, joke about this is, well, you play with Houdini and I play with Tal Geller and Polugayevsky. And then let's see who wins. I mean, three very strong grandmasters. The the head of a grandmaster is so much better than a computer, especially if if he works at home with the aid of a computer. It's not going to be the product. If you and I use Houdini and... Uh, Ivan Chuk plays with Udini, the result will not be the same. They know how to drive the computer. They know how to do it. They know the endgame they want to reach. They know exactly what they want the computer to do. We cannot do that. And it's going to be very interesting to see players fight out to the very last pawn endgames, which we have not been seeing for so long now. The endgames are basically crushed by the quick play finish. Now they can go back home, Think over it, plan it, and we will finally see fantastic end games. We're going to see a whole game, which is something I think we've been missing for quite some time.
0: So there's a beauty in the sort of romanticism about the adjournment, because this is what they used to do of course back in the, the glory days, the good old days, where you used to have a team. You used to have your team, you used to have your seconds with you, your, t- your team, and you would look at these positions together and it would be almost another part of the game, the fact that you could that you could do this, and it was quite exciting.
1: The thing is that um, computers are fairly standard. They will come up with the same idea. I mean, the line that I see is the same line you see. So. I, as a player, will have to, if I see that this line is well, I'm doomed in this line. I will have to find maybe some incorrect line, which will have to play out, and it might not be easy. I mean, sometimes there are those situations where it's just one forced line which gives you minus three or whatever, and then you can just there's in in some place there's one line where you get a minus four continuation, but an, an equal continuation, and the players know where to find them, where to look for them and they will they 'll be tricky they 'll be tr- i 'm pretty sure they 'll be tricky. they know that your opponent has access to the same material
4: I tended not to agree um, that the adjournment was was sort of helping the game and um, that the you know the the end of the game was going to be more interesting in most situations it 's more a memory test of just playing out the moves that the computer suggested. Or even just understanding the moves that the computer suggested and just replicating its its ideas. I I don't feel as though, well, yeah, the the adjournment's gonna help, but you know, maybe we need one or two more tests to see to see if it's gonna stand up to my criticisms.
3: About this uh not being rated uh, there, I know there was a little bit of confusion over whether the current FIDE rules are, are somehow not allowing rating a t- tournament with adjournments. You said technically it could have been. Can you explain that?
1: Well, um, there is nothing in, in the regulations that prevents us from doing it. I mean, they are not in the mainstream of um, body of the re- uh, of the regulations, and there is a separate section which is guidelines for adjournments. So, first of all, if there is guidelines for adjournments. This basically means that you can. Mm-hmm. And, and since it, there's no provision that uh, prevents you from doing it, I must imply that it is possible. I mean, I would have to read something. Adjournment is not possible, but this this is not the case. I have not seen it.
3: So it's not as though you intended to rate it, and then somebody said, oh, you can't actually rate this. You chose specifically not to rate it.
1: I think it was never um, an issue. I mean, uh, again, uh, the players came uh, on a very friendly basis. Uh, although there, we, we did manage to put up $35,000 for a price fund, which is, a, a, I mean, at least something, and it was never discussed. I mean, maybe next time this might be an improvement. Well, why not? Mm-hmm. I don't think rating is really the issue here. The issue is this innovation from the past. The last time we saw adjournments in an
3: official event was back in 1996, and the uh, FIDE world championship match between Anatoly Karpov, new friend of the show, and Gada Kamsky who uh, was also playing here in Amsterdam providing a little bit of a link to the past and the history.
0: There's some great stories as well about the Germans about it was Fischer Spassky isn't it? Is it where where I think they had in a German Spassky just said no do you know what I'm, I'm I'm going to let you have it, you know, well, congratulations. There
3: is a modern day equivalent of the uh, of the Spassky case you just mentioned uh, because of course here the first thing that the players did typically as soon as they sealed their adjourned move in the few games that were adjourned uh, was to go and look at the computer analysis, sometimes in the playing hall together before they even left. <laughs> you know, so you seal your move, you get up from the table, walk over to see what the, what the computer says about it. And uh, after uh, you know, a minute or two glancing at, at the line, um, you know, I, I think it was the game uh, Yobaba Sasikiran. And Yobaba says, well, look, if you sealed that move, it's clear I'm, I'm toast, I'll just resign. And, and uh, Sasikiran says, yeah, well, I, I did seal that move.
0: Did he just resign?
3: And so they went and opened the sealed move to prove that that was the move he had sealed and so he resigned on the spot.
0: (laughs) But essentially, Houdini is going to give the best line in 99% of the positions. So it does take it away. And the Jabava example is a great example because when uh, we, we were doing these things in the 70s and 60s and so on, with that sealed move, it's not necessarily the case that the other Grandmaster would have resigned... So quickly. You know, maybe they would have gone to their room trying to find something. There was a lot more of a psychological element. Now there isn't. You pump it in, you get it out. That's that. So I don't think it's a long term solution. It's cute. That's how I would term it. It's a cute revisit to the old times, the beautiful old times before computers, and an interesting element to a tournament that we don't normally see. But it ain't going to reinvigorate. I mean, this talk about reinvigorating the Chester community, that's just for me a bit of nonsense.
3: We've heard from Yuri Garrett. Uh, let's hear from the aforementioned link to the past, Gada Kamsky, who I also spoke to after the first round in Amsterdam. What do you uh, remember from your last adjourned game? It was in the FIDE World Championship?
2: The uh, Germans actually have some, quite a spot in my memory. And last time, of course, I played against uh, Anatoly Karpov in the match. But already at that time, I think uh, the Germans were fading away. And that was really the last match for the World Championship with the Germans. We actually agreed before the match not to have the Germans, but then uh, he changed his mind. Karpov changed his mind? Yeah, yeah, okay, he, he'll probably say that the organizers uh, changed their mind or something, but it doesn't matter. I mean, because it played an important role in his uh, winning the title. I, I still feel that way. You, so you think the German, he felt that the adjournment favored him? I, felt, I feel that the German favored his side, of course, of course. It was no other way around. But, okay, it's over, it's in the past, you know, I don't really care anymore, but uh, I was just trying to be objective. It's nice to play actually under this time control because it makes you feel like you're following the footsteps of the great players who used to play slow time controls, like really go, going back to Lasker and Capablanca and all those great grand tournaments. And of course in uh, Batvinik and then later the, these guys were also playing the slow time control. And it's nice, you know, to go back in time and experience this uh, under a new, more modern view on chess and the way we play right now. I mean, we do use engines, of course, uh, for starting home preparation, for opening preparation stuff. But um, when you have more time, the, even if you get caught in a variation, it's not like um, when you have one and a half hours, you have to think for an hour and then you have 30 minutes for the three moves and then you know you're in trouble because it doesn't matter if you even get out of the position you still need time and with this time control you can actually manage and uh, you know deal with the stuff that's being thrown to you by your opponent so i think this format deserves the right to to live the time is given uh, uh, for a player for a reason i mean you can uh, create even something new at the board you know what are the ramifications for the end game The ramifications are good because, um, again, it gives you an opportunity to discover something for yourself, to study the end games, which is probably one of the weakest links of uh, the um, internet generation players, because um, you used to study books, you used to study games, and you study, analyze them in depth, and go game by game, the whole books. And um, with the computers, with the Germans, you have to do it again, there is no way to Avoided and it's good for your total development.
3: I mean, Yuri uh, seemed to think that that as an experiment, this was something that could bring back some of the accuracy in the end game that we, that is sometimes lost when you have time scrambles.
2: Yeah, but that's the point uh, for the whole game. Usually, there is a big problem with the time management around move 40. When you have 90 minutes only for 40 moves, I mean, most of the games, they've been decided by, by the time the first control arrives. And uh, this will uh, push uh, the limit a little bit, but at the cost of the time. Because with the field time control, of course, you're done after four, five hours, okay, maximum six, you're done. You know, you're done for the day, you can go rest and do something. And here, there is a danger that you might be playing game for four hours, and then, you have to analyze it for another 3-4 hours, and then you have to actually play. So it's a trade-off. Nothing is perfect. I mean, it's a, its own viable format, just like Rapids, or just like Blitz, or just like Future Random Chess. They're all viable forms of chess. Visha had to prove he was a champion in the knockout, and the round-robin, in the match format. And this is the same thing. If you're a good player, you have to prove have to be able to prove it if you can play chess under any format. Oh,
4: I mean, maybe he's got a point. It's um obviously nice to see some quality end game play and I guess like for for our generation, the the guys who've grown up with the computers, that's most likely the weakest part of our game is uh, you know, the final phase. Um we've got Dvoretsky's end game manuals to help us out, but yeah, when you're trying to find the best moves with so little time on your clock as is inevitably the case in these quick-play finishes, it's, it's difficult, so maybe it's a, a viable thing, the adjournment, but, I mean, it just seems a little strange to me. I guess I've just got used to the rapid-play finish, and it feels as though the game is less tampered with that way. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of a sceptic still.
3: Let's talk about the hot news, and that is, of course, the British Championship. All right, no, that's going to be terrible, guys. Too
0: much. You're my champ, Stephen Gordon. Stephen Gordon,
3: Grandmaster Stephen Gordon, tie for first in the British Championship. Oh, guys, guys. Tell us first the story of the event. You were uh, coming from behind, and then you were leading, and then you had good chances, and you made a quick draw at the end, and you had the playoff.
4: Yeah, well,
3: for the first time in a
4: while, really, I just uh, I felt pretty focused and pretty fresh every day. So started stringing some wins together. You know, I had a strong second week. Well, I mean, I played an IM in the last game. I played Jonathan Hawkins, but I think we, those of us who've uh, seen him play, know that he's playing at a grandmaster level you know, to say the least, so, you know, I had a really, really tough second week, but it was uh, it was pretty disappointing to just not turn up at all for that playoff match, you know, fair play to Gawain, I mean, even, uh, even blundered early in the first game to the point where, yeah, I mean, the first game was just a joke, really, but, yeah, I just wasn't there, and um, it's a tough one to take, but I guess I've got to take some positives out of it.
0: Let me ask you a question, then. I mean, first things first, we should give congratulations to Gawain as well. Yeah, of course. Because he's a good friend of ours. He's a top bloke. And further congratulations, Macaulay. He's done something like you recently, hasn't he? Gawain, yeah.
3: He's tied the knot.
0: He's tied the knot. (laughs) He's officially a man. A married man. So (laughs) I'm going to put a personal shout-out to Gawain... So I haven't seen him since he got married, and I'll put it out to Sue as well, congratulations on your marriage, it's obviously great news, and Sue's been so great with, with going as well, and he's, you know, and he's deserved everything that he's done recently. I know in the first game of your playoff, Steve, I did see it, I know you were crushing him to say the least, but... You know he's a he's a top guy. He's a top player, and it's it's rounded off a really great year for him. He so. was playing the best
4: chess in the tournament as well. I think. Um, well, he
0: was unbeaten as well, wasn't he? From what I saw, he...
4: not at any point losing in any of those games, and he he, he really held things together when he needed to, and uh, you know played some lovely lovely chess at points as well. I mean, he won a best game prize for yeah. his game against Hawkins, So you know, it was a really. Really classic performance by him.
0: What does it mean for you? I mean, does this give you a boost? That you do you want to play more chess? Then at the moment, are you are you going to try and hit for high levels? Get up to twenty six? What well, do you yeah, want?
4: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when you when you have a when you have a strong performance, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna give you. The hunger again, and then um, I wasn't really expecting anything. I just I felt confident let's just play a bit of chess and see what happens. but yeah, definitely I mean I'm free to take a bit of time now I'm not tied into any work, so I might play a bit of chess while i'm while i'm looking for for the right thing for me. come up short of what I wanted, you know I'd trade everything that i got from it for for the title really so my worst nightmare came true with those playoff games i wanted to exercise some demons and actually i've got to wrestle with some more but fuel for the fire
3: (laughs) well you had a lot of positive comments from some of the listeners uh, both on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash the feb And at our our Twitter feed, at the FEB show, we had uh, Turbulent Bulls, who I think is from Canada, tweeting us, Heartiest congrats to Steven. Clearly the podcast has helped his playing strength and results. (laughs) Better make some more. Well, that's it, you know, just... uh...
4: Listening to Lawrence and you know the way that he banners, it's just um, it's been an inspiration for me.
0: Should we just do that? Should I just have a rant before every game of every tournament? (laughs) That's it. Maybe I need to call you up and just I'll just let it all out. A pep talk. Yeah, a little pep talk. Maybe that's... Just
4: ask you about any sort of recent news stories and uh, listen to your answer and then I'll be in the right frame of mind. That's all I need.
3: <laughs> By the way, did you know you made the New York Times? Oh, wow. Me? Yep. Really? I went to read about French cheating and I found uh, Stephen Gordon and Gawain Jones blundering his queen. Oh, brilliant.
0: Oh, no.
4: Oh, well, if you're going to tell me I'm in the New York Times, Macaulay, let it be a good story. not giving away my queen what can i say about that game i mean basically that's one of the worst games i've ever played i imagine (laughs) what else can we say don't worry about it don't worry about it look in some ways you can take positive from it because that's the worst thing that could ever happen to me from a chess perspective and it's it's happened now you know i'm not really afraid of anything, because <laughs> I've had to deal
3: with that. Well, there's also the contrast. Their point was, this was an example that proves that you're an honest guy. Oh, <laughs>
4: right. How lovely. Because <laughs> you couldn't possibly have been cheating. Yeah, I mean, this obviously shows that, um, you know, I didn't have a guy standing in certain positions to get me looking at certain squares, because... Yeah, he probably would have alerted me to the fact that I was losing all my pieces at some point. So thanks New York Times. Thanks for writing about that game for me. I really
0: appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> God. No, I mean I, I think you did brilliantly Steve and um, Cheers, you know, Steve. I think you deserve it as well because you've worked so hard you've come close in the past and you know, for me, as I say, I still think you did great getting equal first with going. So uh, hopefully, you win a few more. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah. It's the hundredth next year, isn't it? It's the hundredth next year. I'm yeah. going to play it next year. I'm playing next year. I'm going to take two weeks off work. Do
4: going. we know where it is? I mean, I've got no idea. where it. At the closing ceremony, they were saying Turkey. Um, Wait, did you say Turkey?
0: Turkey. Turkey.
4: We've talked too much about Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next time on the
3: Falling english Breakfast.
0: Fabiano and his ratings, well over the past six months, a year, fact is, he has been playing premium tournaments and he's been getting premium results.
3: Two of the perennial summer blockbusters in the chess world, of course, about Dortmund Barcasset chess meeting and the Beal Chess Festival in Switzerland. Carlson sort of is a little
4: unlucky not to gain the victory. Well, he's he's getting very close to the all-time rating record of 28.51 from Kasparov.
0: Send us your thoughts. Tell me how you're doing, what you're eating, what you're wearing. Not what you're wearing, but, you know, if you've got a new shirt.